Alrighty, you got your Bibles? Let's get started. Well, guys, last week, uh, by the way, if you see a spot on my shirt, I probably shouldn't be pointing it out, but I, my wife says, Luke, make sure you wear something nice. You know, she's in Arizona right now, but she freaks out about what I'm wearing. And this had just, just come back from the dry cleaners, and it had this little sign that said, could not remove the stain. And I'm like, I don't see no stain. So I'm like, I'm putting it on. I walk into the bathroom this morning, and there's a beautiful little stain right dead center. So I may be preaching like this this morning, just so you don't get acknowledged. But just I know some people get really bothered, and they don't hear a word I say, so I just at least wanted to say, it's a spot, okay? We're fine. <laughs> All right, last week we began a brand new series called Unseen Power, where we have been, uh, we're taking the time to focus on the uh, Holy Spirit's role in living out our lives of faith, and I'm really excited about this series, but last week we just spent some time to just simply focus on the Trinity, the three-person Godhead, and who is part of this Trinity? Say it out loud with me. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, exactly. And we just took time kind of talking about those three, but we, we ended the sermon kind of discussing how, you know, at churches so often we focus on the Father and we focus on Jesus the Son, but very rarely do we really talk about the Holy Spirit. We might reference Him or allude to Him, but we don't really fully learn about Him, and therefore we really don't know Him and we don't understand His role in our lives. And so that's why we're, we're going to be doing this series because hopefully at the end of this series we're, we're going to be knowing Him better and we're going to then allow Him to work more powerfully in our lives. So this week what I wanted to do was to back up and we're going to look at the Holy Spirit at how He worked in the Old Testament. Because we're going to see a dynamic of how He worked in the Old Testament versus how He works now in, in the New Testament area. And, and we're going to notice some key differences. And we have to understand those differences. And I'm just going to say, today's sermon is going to be very informational. It's more about educational. It's not going to be this life-transforming sermon. It's just really, we've got to understand this stuff for us to be able to build the foundation as we move forward. So we're going to just be looking at the Old Testament, how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. Now, does anybody want to take a guess as to where the Holy Spirit was very first mentioned in the Old Testament? Anybody want to guess at that? Genesis what? 1-2. Very good. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in the second verse. Not sure if you knew this or not, but He's the very first of the Trinity that's ever to be mentioned, in, you know, first to be mentioned in the Bible. Look at it, Genesis 1-2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We don't even get to verse 2 in the Bible and the Holy Spirit of God is mentioned. You know, nobody thinks of it, but the truth is the Holy Spirit was very active in the Old Testament. We just don't focus on it. We see Him very active at the very beginning, and if you pay attention, He's active all the way through the Old Testament. Let me show you some evidence of that. Um, check out this passage. And I'm just going to sh show just a few passages, but there are many passages. If you want to take your time, you can look it up. But in Exodus, Exodus 31, God speaks to Moses. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, 
ability and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. We see here that God was filling certain people with His Holy Spirit in order to do specific things. Highly skilled things. Like for instance, here we see God pouring out His Spirit on Bezalel uh, in order to have the skills and the knowledge necessary to, to craft articles out of gold and articles out of silver and bronze and to be able to cut stone and to be able to work with wood and all sorts of different um, necessary craftsmanship. God gave him the supernatural ability to do, to do that. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty stinking cool. That, that is awesome. Can you imagine God doing that? I, I wished when I worked construction that God would have done that for some of the people that worked for me. Because they said, oh yeah, I'm a carpenter, Luke. I'm a really good carpenter. And I'd hire them and they were just worthless. And I'd be like, Spirit of God, could you fill that person to make him good at what he's doing? But that'd be just awesome. I think, all right, God, I'm going to do electricity now. Now I'm going to do carpentry. And the Spirit of God would fill these people to do those jobs. And I just I think that's awesome. Here's another example of the Spirit of God doing that. Um, Judges 3.10, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge. Here's an example of how Israel had been sinning against God and finally they realized their wrongdoing and they turned back to God and they cried out to Him to rescue them. And God raised up a, a man by the name of Othniel and He filled him with His Holy Spirit to be able to become a great leader of Israel. He became the very first judge of Israel. Supernaturally and gifted with the ability to lead, to direct, and to judge the nation of Israel all through the power of the Holy Spirit. Alright, here's another unique one. This is kind of a fun one. Uh, where am I at? Judges 14.6. It says, "...the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Who's that talking about? Samson. Who here has heard of Samson? All right, most of you. For those of you who haven't heard, Samson was one of my favorite guys in the Old Testament. I used to love hearing his story. Samson was another judge of Israel. He wasn't a very good one. He kind of made some stupid decisions in his life, but God still used him. But when he was a little baby, a little boy, God told his parents, he says, all right, listen, here's the deal. Samson is not to cut his hair. Okay? And as long as his hair is not cut, he took this Nazarite vow, as long as his hair is not cut, the, my spirit will be upon him. Okay? And I will gift him and empower him to have supernatural strength. And there's some amazing stories of Samson that you know, he, he fought an entire army of the Philistines with just the jawbone of a donkey. They had swords and spears and came at him with all stuff, but he whipped up the whole army with just a jawbone. And story after story of just this supernatural strength. And what's funny is that the Philistines had no idea where this strength was coming from. And you know what's funny to me too is that, let me just ask you real quick, when you picture Samson, those of you who know about Samson, what kind of physique do you picture him to have? This huge physique, because there's stories where he ripped the gate off the city wall, carried it up a hill, and guys, these gates are as big as this wall. I mean, as tall as this wall. They're huge. 
And so you picture Samson to be this big, burly, ripped, you know, studly dude that, that could do all this stuff. But you know what I think? I think he was some little skinny, long-haired dude. Because people couldn't figure out why he could be so strong. They didn't understand that it was the Spirit of God filling him. Like, for instance, in this story, right here, he's walking along, this huge lion jumps out to grab him, and what does he do? With his bare hands, he rips this lion apart. The Spirit of God supernaturally empowered him to do so. I know that's kind of an interesting story and, and kind of a different, but the Spirit of God supernaturally empowered him to do these things, and it's pretty awesome. So we can clearly see that in the Old Testament, God would send His Spirit upon certain select individuals for certain select specific jobs and roles that God's Spirit wanted to accomplish. And, and, and the Spirit of God would supernaturally empower them to accomplish that job, what he or she needed to do. But here's another thing we need to understand about the Old Testament. And, and by the way, just so you know, God only chose select people to do that. It wasn't everybody who was getting a Spirit, just certain selected people. But here's another thing we need to notice about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament during that time period. And this, this is going to be talking about King Saul. King Saul was the very first king of Israel. And when King Saul started out, he was a pretty good dude. I mean, he, was, he, he did pretty good. The Spirit of God filled him to use him to lead the nation. And um, things were going well. But then at some point in his life, Saul began to just turn against God, started to disobey him, started to do some things that weren't good. And, and notice what happens here in 1 Samuel 6.14. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had what? Departed from Saul. Apparently at some point, God removed His Spirit from Saul. I, I can't even imagine what that would be like to have the Spirit of God fill you so that you had these supernatural abilities and suddenly have it removed from you. That had to have been really tough for Saul. In fact, if you keep reading that passage, you'll see that God removed His Holy Spirit and sent him an evil spirit to torment him. But that's a whole other story. But here, here is an, a specific example of how God's Spirit was given to someone and then removed from that certain someone. Uh, here, here's another story about that. If you, you know the um, story of King David and Bathsheba. Uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And King David was a really good dude. He, was a, he loved the Lord, but he made a mistake. A horrible, horrible mistake. And, and, and when it all came to light, everything came out in the open, you know, David was very repentant. He went to the Lord and he just was just crying out to the Lord. And we, we have that, in a sense, journal entry from David in Psalms 51. If you read Psalm 51, that is... David crying out to the Lord after this horrific sin. sin. But there's, in verse 11, there's a very unique statement that he makes there. He goes, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Isn't that interesting? David is begging God. He's saying, God, please don't cast me out of your presence. But, but most of all, God, please don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take him away. And so we see in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't always a permanent fixture for the people that He did choose to fill these persons with, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't always stay. Sometimes someone who was filled, the Spirit would be removed. 
He'd only come upon certain select individuals, and sometimes he'd remove himself from those individuals. Okay? So we need to understand that. Does everybody get that? Any questions about that? Okay, we, we need to understand that's how it worked in the Old Testament. That's how the people understood that God's Spirit did. And they knew that. They were used to that. That's how God worked with mankind at that moment. But then, something amazing happened. God spoke to the prophet Joel. And He gave them a peek into the future of something amazing that was going to happen. Check this out. In Joel chapter 2, God is speaking here. It says, And afterward, I will pour out My Spirit on what? All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on My servants, both men and women, I will pour out My Spirit on those days. God spoke to the prophet Joel and He told him something amazing. He said, Joel, this, there is coming a time where I will pour out My Spirit on all men. On men and women. Old men, young men. Old women, young women. It won't simply just be on certain individuals. It will be on all people. In fact, even servants. I'll pour My Spirit on servants. On manservants, women servants. I'll pour it. There will be no level of prestige with the people I pour My Spirit upon. Because up to this time, it had just been prophets or kings or judges or leaders. But on that day, it will be all types of people. Now, guys, this was pretty astounding news for the nation of Israel. Because up to this point, God had not done that. But God was promising of a whole completely different time period. Okay, Now, hang on to that passage because we're going to revisit that passage next week. We're going to see when that came to pass. But for now, just know that in the Old Testament, God's Spirit came upon selective people for selective jobs. And also, He could remove Himself from these certain people at certain times. He wasn't a permanent fixture in their lives. Alright, now that we know that, let's fast forward hundreds of years to where Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus, the Son of God, the second part of the Trinity, shows up in human form on earth, and He starts speaking of some pretty interesting things. Things that, for the average person listening to Him, probably wouldn't know what He was talking about. Like, for instance, we, most of us know the story of the Samaritan woman. Jesus and His disciples are walking along. Jesus is tired. He's hungry. And they, they walk up to this well in, in Samaria. And Jesus says, you know what, disciples? You go on into town and you buy something to eat. I'm just going to stay here. So He's staying there. And while He's sitting there, a woman comes up with all of her jars or whatever, her water bottles and everything. And she walks up to the well and she's going to collect some water to take home. Well, Jesus sees her and He goes, Ma'am, would you mind pouring some water for me to drink? Well, what we might not understand is that the racial tensions between Jews and Samaritans was horrible. Jews did not talk to Samaritans. They, they hated each other. And so Jesus is here talking to a Samaritan woman. And the woman turns to Him and goes, You're a Jew? And in a sense, you have the gall to talk to me. And not only do you have the gall to talk to me, but you're asking me for water? You're asking me to give you some water? And notice how Jesus answers. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is 
that ask you for a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. Now the woman responds, she's kind of confused with that statement, she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and and the well is really deep. You you don't even have something to, to draw it with, and it's way down there. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, now pay attention to this, he says, everyone who drinks this water, referring to the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. And then, of course, the story goes on. But what in the world is Jesus talking about here with this whole living water in this spring you know, bubbling up? If you drink this water that He gives you, you will never thirst. You'll be like a, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Has anybody ever seen a spring before? Yeah. The thing I, I love about a spring, in Colombia we had springs coming out of the mountains you know, everywhere. And there was this one specific spring I liked. It was a pretty big one. We, were, we would go up and pick coffee beans and the spring was right in the middle of the coffee bean field. And uh, the spring, it's not like there's a hole in the ground. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. And it's pretty incredible. And the water is just fresh and it's cold and it, it comes from the, the mountain. It's just amazing. It's like ice mountain water, which I'm sure they get from the Detroit River, but they say something different. <laughs> but it, it's just delicious water. And, and, and Jesus is using this analogy here. And obviously it's metaphoric, but what in the world is He talking about? Well, One might wonder and be like, I don't know what he's talking about if it weren't for something mentioned later on in the book of John in chapter 7. Check this out. We see similar language being used. Chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus is speaking and He says, Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within Him. Now what is Jesus talking again? Here He's talking about this living water again. Well, the very next verse is going to explain it to us. Check this out. By this, He meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, notice precisely what it's saying in verse 39. What did He mean with this whole living water analogy? What He meant was that those who would... what? believe in Jesus, put their trust in Jesus, follow Jesus, would later, at a later time, they would receive the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus was promising that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on those who believed in Him. Because up to that point, it says at the end of verse 39, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see, Jesus had to be glorified before the Spirit could be in part. And we're going to talk about that in the future. So very clearly, this passage is agreeing what we just talked about about the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit had not yet been given to all peoples. But it is agreeing with the passage we see in Joel. This prophecy saying there is coming a time when the Spirit is going to be giving. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Something 
pretty amazing is going to happen where the Spirit is going to be given in ways that they never dreamed or, or ever even imagined. All right. Now I want to just kind of wrap up this thought as with just kind of some conversation Jesus is having with His disciples. And this is right before His death. Okay? He had just celebrated the Last Supper with His disciples and He's having some final conversations with them. And I want you to see what He's saying there. John 14. He goes, If you love Me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Now, there's a lot being said here, and, and I'm pretty convinced I don't think the disciples have any clue as to what is about to go down. They, they, they've heard Jesus say some pretty crazy stuff. There's, you know, he's been hearing him say that he's going to die, he's going to be crucified. He's saying things like, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be also. And I'm going to come back for you. And you know where I'm going. And they're like, we don't know where you're going. And, and Jesus is saying all these things. And, and I really don't think they understand what Jesus is saying in all this. But in this passage, Jesus says something pretty incredible. And once again, I don't think they grasp it, but He says it. He says, I will ask My Father and He will give you another Counselor. To be with you for how long? Forever. In other words, He won't come and go. He will be with you forever. And who is this Counselor? The Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit of Truth. Now notice what He says about the Holy Spirit in relation to them. I think this is important for us to see following up our faith series. He says, the world cannot accept Him because it neither what? Sees Him nor knows Him. Now, what is the definition of faith? Faith is belief in the unseen reality of God. Now, the world can't see God. The world can't see the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if they can't see, they won't believe. And that's what Jesus is simply saying there. He's saying, listen, the world, they don't believe in this Counselor because they can't see it. The world has to see things to believe things. But he says to the disciples, he goes, but you do. You know him. You, you know him. And, and, and look at what he says there. He goes, he is, you know him for he lives with you and will be, what? In you. Do you see that slight difference? The Holy Spirit is with you. Right now he's with you and you know him. But one day he's going to be in you. And that is a truth, a dynamic that is completely going to transform their lives. And we're going to talk about that in the future. Pretty amazing promise that Jesus tells them. Now as I said, these disciples, I, I really think, had no clue to what He was saying in all this. I'm sure all they could hear was little statements of, I'm leaving, I'm dying, I'm going away. And, and I'm sure that, that made them sad. I'm sure they didn't like to hear that. I'm sure it just, just, just gave him a broken heart. In fact, if you, if you look further down that, that passage in John 16, it's the same time frame, same conversation, same time before his arrest. Jesus said this to the disciples. He goes, you know, because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. 
This is, this is hard stuff to hear. I mean, they, they loved this guy. He had taught them so much. He had instructed them on so much. He had helped them with so much. He had showed them so much. He had counseled them on, on so much. And now he was leaving. And, and I'm sure these disciples were thinking, how in the world am I going to go on in my life without Jesus? Without Jesus by my side. But Jesus says something incredibly amazing in the very next verse. Look at this. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is for your what? Good that I'm going away. He's saying, disciples, listen to me. It is for your good that I leave. Because unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send them to you. You understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying that it is far better that He leave and send the Holy Spirit than it would be for Him to stay here and, and be right next to Him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that just messes with my mind because if I had a choice, if I had a choice of Jesus being right beside me for the rest of my life or to not have Him right beside me for the rest of, the rest of my life, guess what I would choose? I would choose, I'd say, Jesus, I don't want you to leave. I want you to be right beside me for the rest of my life. I think that's the best thing. But that's not what Jesus thinks. He obviously knows that the Holy Spirit being poured out into all people is far better and far more effective and far more powerful than just Him remaining in human flesh on this earth beside us. And here's the truth I want you to walk away with. The Holy Spirit in us is far better than Jesus next to us. Amen? I know that that's hard for us to get our mind around. But if Jesus thinks that, then it must be true. If Jesus thinks that the Holy Spirit being sent to us to be in us is far better than Jesus being with us, then He must be right. And of course he's right because he knew the incredible reality of what the Holy Spirit being poured into us would accomplish. And you know what? I don't think Jesus could wait for that moment to happen. Because that's ultimately why he came. And we intend on unpacking all of that in this series. So guys, that's what I want us to see this week. But next week, we're going to be talking about the moment that the Holy Spirit was sent to be in us. We're going to be talking about looking... And we're going to be looking at the fulfillment of that prophecy in Joel that we read today. And it's awesome. I love that story. It is a great story. But for today, as I said, we're just setting the table. We're building the foundation to understanding the Holy Spirit because bit by bit, as we build this foundation up, we're going to be, begin to understand how it impacts us and how the Holy Spirit empowers us to live these lives of faith right now in this present age. And let me tell you something, it's awesome. Amen? Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I thank You. I thank You for just who You are. You are God the Father. You are God the Son. You are God the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, You're going to be the instructor here. You're going to be the one that teaches us. And I just pray that You would instruct us about Yourself. That You would take off the blinders in our hearts and minds that we, we have that prevents us from seeing 
in you for who you really are. And I pray, God, that here as, as a family, a church family, that we would begin to have a powerful interactive relationship with you in our everyday lives, moment by moment. And may it impact us. And may we be supernaturally used by you to extend your kingdom. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.